Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Arrival. Arrival, or more accurately, the short story that it was based on title is Story of Your Life, was written by Ted Chiang and published in 1998. And it was actually collected and published in a short story collection titled Stories of Your Life and Others. And that short story collection was published in 2002. (laughs) You'd remember a lot more than me. Yeah. Uh, The film adaptation came out in 2016 and was directed by Denis Villeneuve. I believe I'm pronouncing his name right. And this is our first short story. Yes. Adaptation. Which is exciting for us to read something short. Oh, my God. (laughs) Uh (laughs) It was a huge, huge relief. 50 pages. Yeah. I'm sure uh, most of you know, but it takes a long time to read the books that we read for the podcast. It does, especially for me, because I am a slow reader. And we love it. Like, we love doing it, but it's definitely a lot of work and it takes up a lot of our time. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is a relief sometimes to have shorter (laughs) books. And I have a new appreciation for shorter books and also uh, novellas and now short stories as well. (laughs) Absolutely. And plus, there's just a lot of interesting things to take away from... The short story, like the short story in a lot of ways is kind of um, less of a structured story, more of like a uh, just a general account of this. Almost sort of a stream of consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. It's less concerned with like an act structure or anything like that. And yeah, so there's just a lot of different elements to adapting something like this. Mm -hmm. And I'll be referring to this. Uh, multiple times throughout the episode, but I listened to a podcast where called uh, Q&A with Jeff Goldsmith. Very good. I had never listened to it before, but he talks and interviews Eric Heiserer, who was the uh, screenwriter on this. Yeah, it was like an hour and a half podcast. A lot of it was about Arrival and just a lot of interesting stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about like all the different drafts of this story. He like really loved this story. He wanted to be the one adapting it. Wow. There were numerous hurdles because he loved that it was a very thoughtful um, sci-fi story that was dealing with kind of meditative. Yeah. Yeah. Dealing with linguistics and but also this person's life, like the entirety of their life. Yeah. And he he was just saying that, like, he loved the story so much and he, like, described it and pitched it to. Uh, production companies and they're like it sounds great we'll never green light it <laughs> they're like no one wants to see that like what are yeah. you even talking about what's that what's, what's the plot what is that what's, what's that the story action? yeah yeah uh so he it, it took a long time he said and a lot of challenges but he did kind of work pretty closely with the author himself wow. on adapting this and if you're interested in listening to that i highly suggest it that's q a with jeff goldsmith we can put a link on our Patreon page. Yes, we'll absolutely link mm-hmm. to it. So Cool. Yeah, um, this is... Let's just get this out of the way right now. Um, we're going to spoil everything, which we normally do anyway, anyway. <laughs> in our episodes. But we just want to say we have to do it kind of from the beginning Yeah, in this episode. So If you're one of those people who... I guess would potentially listen to the episode up until the point where you don't want things spoiled, which I don't think there's anyone like that. Yeah, but, but just in case. In case. Yeah. Because uh, this movie, I will say, is best appreciated 
uh, if you go into it knowing nothing. Yes. I'm not. So even, if I'm you're not, even, not sure, maybe stop listening for a second, go watch the movie, and yeah, then come back. Just for a second. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not even saying, like, oh, big plot twists or anything. Like, I'm just saying, like, it, it's best if you don't know anything about it. Yeah. So that's all we'll say. And we're going to dive into it yes. right now. So let's begin with the book's beginning, mm-hmm. which starts out with someone narrating. And this person is set talking about uh, the night that you were conceived. Yes, it is spoken from a very immediately. You can tell it's a very weird vantage point. Yeah, where it's clearly the narrator speaking to their child both both in like a past and future tense. Yeah. Explaining, oh, you'll go on to do these things. Mm-hmm. And like, this is the night you were conceived. And and on this night, I'm remembering the things that happened to me. And also I'm thinking about the things that will happen in the future for you. For yeah. For your life. Like actively thinking about them. Yeah. That night. Mm-hmm. But it starts out and it's framed around the night that this child is conceived. And that's why the story is called Story of Your Life, because it's the story of this child's life. Mm-hmm. One thing I want to say right off the bat is I really wish I could have gotten to experience this short story without the movie having spoiled what is going on exactly. Yeah. Because it's not, it's like clear, but not clear at the same time. Yeah. And where the movie has like a revelation moment. A reveal. Yeah. yeah. The book or the short story never really has that specifically. No. And I'm really curious when I was reading and I'm like, at what point I wonder. Does the reader realize? Yeah. Would it have settled in for me? What exactly is going on here? Yeah, I agree. I wish that we could have had that experience. Unfortunately, Ian and I did see this movie. Yeah. When it came out. Mm-hmm. So we had that. We already knew what happened. Um, so. And that is one of the challenges of doing this podcast in general is yeah. sometimes a lot of times we're more fam- we're familiar with the movie beforehand. Yeah. And then reading it or vice versa. If we've read the book, watched the movie, it's like, would I know what's going on at this point if I didn't already know the story? Yeah. And it exactly. makes it hard to sometimes judge that medium and how Mm -hmm. it's telling the story. Yeah. Because you kind of already have like a blueprint to the plot and what's happening. So this is one of those cases where I was like, God, I wish I could have had like a first experience with this story. But yeah, somehow like wiped your memory. Yes. And read the short story. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) too much to ask. (laughs) It's like the men in black, like flasher technology to be invented. So uh, that's kind of the... The, our introduction in the short story, yeah. the movie, we get this montage. Yeah. It's very beautiful. It's like a prologue, but not. It seems like. It seems like a prologue. And it's um, the narrator narrating. So there's voiceover. Yeah. And um, she's talking and it's Amy Adams. And she's talking about, you know, your life and um, memory and things. And it's her with this child as, you know, really young. And then as she's older, and then we see this, her daughter dying. Yeah. Clearly some kind of terminal illness, whether it's cancer or something else. Yeah. Uh, as a teenager, Mm -hmm. like mid to late teens, it seems like how old she is. Yeah. 
the the girl they had for like around five years old, I want to say, uh-huh. was so cute. Oh my god, so adorable. And I was like, ah, oh, goddamn. <laughs> was that them. the one that when she was uh, like the cowboy outfit? Yeah, she had her the was it like the tickler? Oh yeah. <laughs> the mom said she was gonna tickle her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, oh no, <laughs> damn them for casting like adorable children. I know, gets us every time. This is like the beginning of Up, though. Yes, it's like here's like a five minute devastating story yeah before the story even begins with like minimal dialogue like there's some yeah. dialogue but, but it's not it's, really the point no yeah it's just this montage of sadness <laughs> absolutely uh and it's set to beautiful music yes the score i found i this is really frustrating i read that because the the score the musical score at the beginning and end it book ta- it bookends uh, the movie yeah. was actually a pre-composed uh, piece of music. And because of that, the movie couldn't really win the best original score Oscar. Oh, really? Because it used that as like a significant beginning and ending that they didn't write, even yeah. though the rest of the movie Has, was an original yeah. score. I'm like, oh, that's bullshit. Because this movie had such fantastic atmospheric music that oh, I yeah. really loved. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah. All of that happens, and then we're kind of brought into the quote-unquote present. present. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, so we have our main character, and we're introduced in the short story as well to our main character, who's the narrator, and it's Dr. Louise Banks, who is a linguist, and she is a professor who teaches courses in linguists. Uh, is that right? In linguists? Not... <laughs> It's definitely not that. No, she's a linguist. <laughs> Linguism? <laughs> Why are we dumb? <laughs> How about she teaches languages? There you go. Yeah, but like the study of languages. <laughs> yeah. So that's her whole field, her whole expertise. She mm-hmm. is a professor. And the present part of the story begins with an alien landing. Yes. And I really loved the the, the book is a little more. Uh, I don't want to put it. Like matter of fact, yes, and kind of speeds through. Yeah, parts it's of like the story. oh, the day they landed, and the day I got the phone call from the government asking me to go and investigate. Them. Yeah, yeah, and it's not bad. No, you know what I mean. Like it's kind of just like the nature of that story. Yeah, but it isn't like there's not a lot to that aspect of the book. But the movie, I thought, handled this side of it really well. Oh yeah. Where it starts off with Louise arriving at the college and she sees people gathered around a TV all kind of engrossed in what's going on. And she seems very uh, just kind of not caring. Yeah. And it's really interesting. Because because we're led to believe that her daughter just died. Yeah. Because we saw this whole montage and we're like, wow, she had a daughter and then she died. Now this is probably a year or two later and she's trying to like live her life. Mm -hmm. And it fits in with this portrayal of Louise because like you said, she's very disinterested. She seems very sad and alone. Yes. And there's there's really there's another really good video on Arrival by Nerdwriter, another Mm -hmm. really good video essayist. And he talks about this thing specifically where we it's like the association of imagery yeah where and alfred hitchcock did like a whole thing about this but like if you show like just two images if the one image is the same 
but the other image changes. The first image you'll interpret differently depending on what follows it okay. or, or what yeah. precedes it. Mm-hmm. And so in this case, because you think your daughter just dies, you're like, oh, man, she's so like sad and just emotionally disconnected. Yeah. And then, of course, later you find out, I mean, she she might be sad and kind of disconnected, but it's not. It's not because of that. No, and it's not to the extent that we're imagining it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she gets to class and like no one's there. And then suddenly they like evacuate the school. Yeah. It's this huge crisis and she's back at home and like the news is going wild and aliens have landed. Everybody's in an uproar. There's rioting in the streets. People are panicking. Um, And then she gets a call in the short story or a visit in the movie from the military. Yeah. uh, Colonel Weber specifically who's kind of like the face of the military in this story yeah he's kind of he's who she ends up reporting to and he has a very active role Mm -hmm. played by Forrest Whitaker yeah and it's all very mysterious and um hush hush at the beginning they just give her a recording of the alien sounds asking her can you interpret these and she's like of course I can't fucking interpret (laughs) like what are you talking about yeah and she tells him she's like I have to be there like I have to be able to physically see the creatures to try to like establish a connection and yeah. communication and he initially thinks like oh you're just trying to like see aliens mm-hmm. and she's like i'm just telling you what i need yeah and they eventually believe her and they bring her on board as the official linguist for this specific alien ship yeah in the movie there are 12 alien devices that like pods. Pods, yeah. They're like oval, elliptical type mm-hmm. shapes, uh, kind of like concave almost, um, that hover slightly above the earth. Yeah. And there's 12 of them, and this is the only one in the U.S., and it's in Montana. In the short story in the book, there are like, what, like 20-something of them? Or there's f- a lot more. There's Actually, a there's lot like more. 120, Yeah, there's I like 100-something. So there's uh, quite a few of them in the United States, and Louise is one of the linguists in the U.S. that is working on it. But there are, you know, obviously a lot more people involved. Well, and they're not ships. Yeah. They're, they call them looking glasses. Mm-hmm. So they're like monitors that have just kind of like landed in fields. And there are apparently ships in orbit. Yeah. But these are like communication devices. Mm-hmm. So L- Louise is assigned to one specific looking glass. Yeah. To communicate with the aliens through it and everything else. Whereas obviously the movie reduces that number and makes them ships. Yeah. To make it much more of a imposing threat and kind of like an ominous arrival. And more of an interesting situation because in the book... You know, you just have these communication devices. They call them looking glasses. So, like, how many aliens are even in orbit that they're communicating with? You know what I mean? And, like, there's not that closeness of connection. Like, they're there. We're communicating. Um, But in the movie, that's a lot more immediate and right there. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) There's a great quote by the screenwriter about this where he was, like, he was explaining why he made that change. And he's like, I mean... He's like, I couldn't have an hour and a half movie about a bunch of people Skyping with aliens, <laughs> <laughs> which is like true. And it, yeah. it is funny to think about that difference, even if they made it the same like large like window that they look at the aliens through in the yeah. movie, even if the screen was like that and it looked like they were there and blah, blah, blah. 
And even though they don't like interact physically with the aliens or anything. Yeah. Like you need that ship. You need the. The threat. The, the threat. Uncertainty. And the, and the ominousness of like the ships and just everything going on. And yeah. Like that presence is so crucial for like the drama of the scenes. Yeah. So that I think that was a, a very obvious and smart decision to make on their part. Yeah, I agree. And the movie takes this alien threat a lot more seriously too we talked earlier about um the way people are reacting to this and how that is explained and gone into more detail in the movie but it's also like when louise gets there it's like a whole military base set up you know it's all military it's very you know closed off no one can approach and people are panicking out in the world and there's rioting and people are questioning the government like Should we be attacking? You know, is this, are they here to like hurt us or, you know, to fight us? And there's this pressure in the story because the government wants to find out why the aliens are here and what they like want with humanity, basically. And so it's Louise's job to figure that out. But of course, she also is there as a linguist, as a scientist, wanting to know more about this culture, about this language, about these aliens. So... I really like that contrast mm-hmm. about like between, especially that tension between her and the Colonel and her and like some of the other military personnel there that they're just kind of like, find out what they want. And she's like, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> well, and I love it just as a story idea in general, because in so many movies now, like in a lot of like the Marvel movies, for example, just like every alien and race speaks English. Just yeah, that's just like the default now, which for those movies is fine. Yeah, like, that's what I expect out of those movies. Oh, yeah. But to make an entire movie about the attempt at even communicating information, even basic sentences. Yeah, exactly. Is so interesting. And I love taking it to that precise, detailed examination of yeah. something like that. And they explain this in both the book and the movie where Louise kind of breaks it down for the colonel and she's like, listen, you want me to ask, like, why are they here? What they want with us? We have to establish so many things in language to even get there. And like, I don't even know what they're saying yet. You know, there was a great story once again by the screenwriter in that Q&A where he was originally in an early draft. They talk a lot about the early drafts of this. It sounds like I said drafts. <laughs> drafts of this uh, screenplay where the interviewer, I guess, had read them all and was asking him questions. And he said in an earlier version, you had a lot more scenes of like them learning sentences and keywords and stuff like that. Yeah. And the guy was like, yeah, he's he was saying. And the producers who read it were kind of pushing back on it and saying like, we don't need this. Like, this is boring. Like, no one's really like no actors are going to want to do this It's going to be like, you know, why? Why are these scenes here? Yeah. And the screenwriter went on this whole tangent about like, you don't get it. Like, you don't understand. <laughs> He's like, listen, if we if they have to ask, why are you here? Like, we have to break this down. OK, you like we have to identify like, yeah. who is talking to who the subject of the sentence, a question. We have to know if they understand what the question is. We have to know if they understand like our planet or like if. Like, we don't know who they are. And he's yeah. like, he's like explaining how the establishment of communication that they is necessary to get to this question. Yeah. And the executive producers who watched him do that are like, that's your scene. 
Wow. They were like, that's the scene. It is. That's and so cool. They were like, that's the scene that should be in the movie. Not the actual like uh, scenes of them learning the language, but the explanation of why. And I that, love that. And it is exactly how it plays out. Where and it works so well because you understand so much and what they're dealing with. Yes. But again, you don't have to sit through them like literally yeah. going through the alphabet and like phonics and stuff. Yeah, because Colonel Weber's like, why don't we just ask them like tomorrow why they're here? Yeah. And like, why is it going to take that long? Mm-hmm. And it's this really great explanation. And yeah, and it's just funny how that came about. That's so cool. Uh-huh. I, lo- I really <laughs> liked that scene in the movie, too. Yeah, it, it was it's excellent. And it really does make you step back and be like, fuck, like that sounds impossible. Yeah. And it kind of does seem impossible. Like that's like what they're trying to this problem that they're trying to surmount. Yeah. And I love that this is the story because when you think about it, like if there was an alien race that came to visit us or if we encountered a different species somewhere, like we wouldn't speak the same fucking language. No. And we wouldn't even have the same idea of what language means. You know what I mean? Yes. So it would be like this. And I really like that this kind of takes a peek at that. Um, Should we talk a little bit about the heptapods? The aliens themselves? Yeah, yeah. So uh, to take a little step back real quick, uh, it is Louise, and she's paired with a partner. Yes. Who is Gary in the short story yeah. and Ian in the movie. <laughs> yes. And Played this, by Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner. The screenwriter said, he's like, yeah, I was writing this story. He's like, and I just have like a bad association with the name Gary. He's like, <laughs> I just don't like it. It, it's just my own personal bias. So he changed it. <laughs> so that's Ian's a good name. I, I agree. I think Ian's a great name, but that's the reason he changed it. So we might accidentally interchange those names. So they're traveling to the site. It is Louise and Gary slash Ian, mm-hmm. who is the like physicist math expert. Yeah. Uh, out of the two of them, it's going to be them as a duo. Mm-hmm. And, they are going to be the ones like mainly communicating and trying to establish this. And I love the buildup in the movie. Oh yeah. To them. Their first, first meeting. Yeah. Like they pass a guy being like carried out in like a stretcher in like a tent, like a tented stretcher. Yeah. And she asks them about it and they're like, not everyone uh, mentally can handle it. Can handle what you're about to see. And yeah. It's like, oh you're my like, God. Oh shit. <laughs> and they have to wear these like radiation suits that are really like bulky and kind of intense. And we can just hear Amy Adams, Louise, like breathing. Yeah. And it's so, it's very stressful. <laughs> you're like, stop breathing. It's very loud. Stop it. <laughs> but and she's I, like clearly like, it's you're yes. in her mind. You're in her head, like what she's experiencing and like the stress of this moment. And I love like they even give like reverence to at a point Ian reaches up and like touches the ship. Yeah. And, and his, just like, like wonder. Yeah. And just like the wonder and just being like, this is like an alien. Yeah. Dev- this is something from like outer space. And just it really draws you into this idea. Yeah. Into their headspace of like what they're about to encounter. Mm-hmm. And in the ship, it almost has like no gravity in part of it and they sort of like float down up into it yes and then there's like this screen and to me it almost looks like the screen of like a vr 
headset or yeah something. it kind of does i don't know why it reminded me of that look that way but through the screen they can see the heptapods and it's very misty and foggy in there mm-hmm. so it's not super distinct but they can see um the aliens and they call them heptapods because they have seven legs mm-hmm. and they kind of look like octopuses to me anyway yeah and <laughs> it's kind of yeah they look like spider slash squid octopus things yeah and it's not until later that we get a full body this shot was weird it was weird because they actually go up a lot higher yeah than you can but you see. can't see them from that like vr screen yeah and it's like <laughs> i don't know you're just like and at some points the camera looks up at the head yeah or what you would imagine is the head when you see the full body but then you're like but you can't see that before. Yeah. So it's like, why is what it? What is that? Is it is the window just focusing on their crotches? Because that's yeah. Kinda why how would it... they design that? <laughs> <laughs> um, In but, the book, they have seven eyes. Yes. On different like sides of their head, so they don't really have like a forward or backward, which is interesting. Uh, I thought that detail was kind of strange, but I like it. I love it because it speaks a lot to it, it, it adds another problem for them yeah because they don't have a direction they face yeah they're like full circle they look like the same mm-hmm. so like they don't know is the alien addressing me or is it addressing the other alien it's talking to mm. oh yeah and okay. does it face a direction it doesn't and it also kind of explains like their perception their perception and worldview of like seeing the past and present at the same time mm-hmm. they kind of have no idea of like direction Both yeah you mean past th- and future past and future what i say past and present oh sorry <laughs> past and future and like both in time and in physical space they don't face any specific directions so. yeah and also in the book they eat underneath their tentacles (laughs) they have mouths under there and possibly a butt as well but we never find out for sure (laughs) one didn't just like drop a turd while they were talking no unfortunately (laughs) i forgot about that part they bring like a weird alien fruit yeah and then they just stick it up underneath them and they hear it like crunching (laughs) that part was funny and they also kind of like chairs in their environment too. yeah and technology yeah, and technology. So there's a lot more. They're si- more similar to people in certain ways in the book. Yeah. In those ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing I love about the movie, though, is that there's this whole big build up to them meeting them. Yeah. And we do see the heptapods. And like the colonel's like, OK, Louise, you can begin. And it's this huge build up. And then it cuts there. Yeah. Back to them at mm-hmm. the camp. And. You don't quite know what happens, but Louise is like, am I fired? So you don't imagine like they did anything really. Yeah. But I love I, it's hard to explain why I liked it so much, but I just liked all about the build up. And then that moment you can just you can figure out what it was like or what happened. Yeah. And it didn't have to be like that moment to find everything. It was no. like, oh, I kind of fucked that up a bit, but we're going to go back in. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, you didn't pass out. So that was like. A- A's across the board in regards to that. Yeah. <laughs> and this period after this in the book and in the movie is, you know, Louise and Gary slash Ian go- keep talking and communicating and trying to establish communication between them and the heptapods. And Louise is trying to establish a vocabulary. Mm-hmm. So 
But she quickly realizes that the heptapods have two separate languages. Yeah. They have one, which is the oral, like audio language, the spoken one. And then they have a written language that is actually completely separate, which is very interesting to me because I know nothing about languages besides English. But, you know, when you think about the way our language, like the sounds that we make correspond directly to the letters that we write. Yes. Whereas in this um, culture, this alien culture, it's completely separate and it's two different ways of communicating. Yeah, so they write in what she describes as logograms. Yeah. So like or sizograms. Yeah, they kind of create a new word for it to like be appropriate, but like one circular mark can be an entire thought or sentence or like paragraph of information. Yeah. And the elements that like create it always like fold into each other neatly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I felt like I learned so much just through the challenges and what they were explaining yeah. in terms of every language on earth. Every written language corresponds to the spoken language yeah. of that area. So it's hard for them to understand a written language that doesn't do that. There's no like audio yeah. equivalent. Yeah. Like with the heptapods. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was easier in certain ways for them to see this because it is something they can recreate. Yeah. Unlike the, the weird guttural noises of the aliens. Exactly. So... There were, and God, there were so many interesting little things relating to language. Like this, the book especially got dense. Oh, yeah. But I loved it. Mm -hmm. I was like, especially like not only with uh, language, but also math. Yeah. And Ian slash (laughs) Gary in the short story gets to do a lot more sciencing and mathing. Yeah, because he's a physics person. Yeah. And he and Louise have this discussion where he's talking about how he and the physicists were like, what are the physicists doing? Like, what is their part in this? It seems like they're not working at all. Yeah. <laughs> and the linguists are doing all the work, but they're trying to get the heptopods to respond to different types of math mm-hmm. to establish what their level of like technology and that type of thing is. And they're having trouble getting the heptopods to respond to things that humans consider basic math. Yeah. But then they have a breakthrough when they discuss uh, Fermat's principle. Mm-hmm. I think I'm saying that right, which is a, a physics principle about the way that light travels. Yeah. And this, I was like, this made me wish that there was an entire physics book in the package of a story like this. Yeah. Where I would care about it a lot more. Oh my God. Like I this. would like read an entire <laughs> book where it could just be this entire setup. Yeah. And it doesn't even have to relate to the aliens, but then it's the characters in that story just explaining physics. Yeah. I would read the shit They're out like, of oh, that. like, oh, great. I understand physics now. <laughs> <laughs> but the basic principle of this, and as Gary is explaining to Louise, is that when light travels, it has to consider the fastest. Light always travels either the fastest or like the longest way possible. It's like a minimum or maximum yeah principle so like the angle that light is refracted at when it hits different substances like water yeah it changes the angle and also the speed of the light Mm -hmm. uh and if you're considering where it ends underwater the ray of light and where it begins the refraction of the light and the speed change it looks like 
because it's making a turn that it's going slower. It's reacting. Yeah, and that that would be the longest way. But because, like, if you did draw a straight line, it's going through more of the water, and that would actually be longer. And it's... It's very complicated. It is. It is very complicated. we're doing a bad job of explaining it. But basically, Louise figures out that, theoretically, Light has to know where it's going ahead of time and then choose the way that it travels. Yeah. Um, and that's to consider light as like an, an, an like a thinking thing, which it's not. And actually, I read in the notes for this short story that um, the author makes a note that like I'm excluding all of like the quantum theories surrounding this. So this is like a simple explanation, apparently. Mm. So who knows what quantum theory has to say about this? But oh Jesus, <laughs> yeah. But it does bring up this whole like uh, Ian brings up a point about like physicists have argued like does light have some kind of like what is it like a sentience or something yeah or an understanding of how it has to travel or whatnot and Mm -hmm. uh just like a lot of interesting physics and like moral or like philosophical points brought up about it yeah and they talk about how the heptapods really respond to this and they understand it as being very basic where this is kind of like an abstract more theoretical math for humans and so louise kind of gets to understand that the heptapods are thinking things through where they know where things are heading ahead of time just like light yeah yeah and so it ties in thematically pretty well thematically and mathematically (laughs) it's like when they say if there's a classroom scene in a movie to pay attention because it'll tie in thematically to the story that's like this little uh physics speech yeah in, in the book and also in the book louise and gary start hanging out and dating around this time <laughs> start getting just like chinese food yeah because they can just like leave unlike the movie this isn't like a lockdown military yeah. base they're just like oh yeah just spoke to some aliens this morning and now we're gonna go out to dinner yeah and in the movie there's so many other tension building elements yeah. surrounding like in the book, they're just like aliens here and we're like learning from them. And it's like awesome, super fun and yeah. cool. And in the movie, they're like, Jesus Christ, figure out what they're saying. And if we're all going to die, yeah, <laughs> China is threatening war, like anything could happen. Yeah, there's so many interesting elements surrounding the other countries and the heptapods that have landed near them. Yeah. At one point. Uh, Louise, they figure out that China, I believe it's China, yeah, is communicating to their heptapods by playing mahjong. Mahjong, mm-hmm. and Louise is like, "Oh God!" and and the colonel's like, "What?" She's like, "Well, imagine if we learned how to play, communicate with the aliens playing chess, where there's always a winner and a loser." Yeah, like that creates like a language of aggression and mm-hmm. opposition, and like those are the only rules a- of communication. Yes. And so you're just like, oh, God, that's wild to, like, imagine trying to communicate that way. Yeah. This movie and book raises so many interesting questions about communication and language in general. It's super fascinating. Yeah. Around, like, while this is all happening, Louise in the movie is having these flashbacks Mm -hmm. to that childhood that we saw of that little girl who ends up dying. And in in the book, in the short story... She's actively remembering the future of this child's life and also the past as well. And it alternates pretty consistently. Yeah. There will be like a page or a passage in the alien communication storyline and then a passage or page or section relating to 16. 
Yeah. So it, it's there's quite a bit more in the story relating to her daughter and her life and like their relationship and experience with each other. Yeah. And God, it does not make me want to have a teenage daughter at any <laughs> point in my life. No, <laughs> <laughs> I do like what um, the book has to say and Louise narrating about how your child isn't you. Yeah, that was interesting. And about how like you just create this separate person and she grows up and she is like completely different from you and has different interests and personality and will might take a different path in life as well. And it's sort of strange to consider that, but it's true. Yeah, there's one part that was like particularly frustrating where they were going to the mall together oh my and God. her teenage daughter is like, uh, can you walk like 20 paces behind me and if I want to buy something I'll let you know oh my God. and if I run into friends I can't be seen with you yeah and the mom's like what and she was just saying like it seemed like yesterday that she was like excited to go to the mall and Aww. I know it's really sad but it does jump around in her age I think too in the yeah. short story just kind of like little snippets of different points in time mm-hmm. so yeah I I sometimes felt like I didn't get as much from those parts, but I don't know how you felt. In yeah, the short story. I felt like in the movie, these flashbacks or flash forwards were more emotionally impactful. Yeah. And there were some that were kind of like, and not antagonistic, but, you know, portraying the complexities of parenthood. But in the book, I felt like it. there was a lot more episodes of like, them fighting or them not getting along. And I don't know. I think it was maybe trying to show different things. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe my like idea of this story through the filter of the movie, which I already have seen and liked. Yeah. Maybe I was like a little less open-minded to the book, to the story kind of like taking a different approach with it. Mm -hmm. I guess I just felt like sometimes I get thematically the, like the alien story, ties into the life and the passing of time with her daughter yeah. and where it eventually leads to and stuff. But at other points, I'm like, okay, why are we having this? Story? Yeah. Can yeah. we get through her daughter kind of being shitty and get back <laughs> to like the language alien like aspect? Cause that's I agree. so interesting. That was a lot more interesting. Yeah. And I get the emotional core of the daughter side of it, but yeah. sometimes it just didn't feel quite as fulfilling. I agree. In my mind. Mm hmm. We do get a really cool scene in the movie as Louise is progressing in learning the alien written language. She is starting to actually be able to communicate in it. So she's drawing mm -hmm. these uh, pictographs, ideographs, logographs, whatever. Yeah. Um, and we get this scene where she's talking to Ian about them. Yeah. And he says something like, are you like dreaming in this language. And I forget what she answers. Like if she yeah. dodges the question or something. And then she turns her head. To like address someone else. Who we haven't seen in the room. Yeah. And it cuts to a heptapod. Just in the room. In the room. With its creepy it's like. like <laughs> yeah. And then it like cuts to her waking up. Yeah. And. So two things. This scene is so creepy and effective. Yes. It's. The way it's successfully so dreamlike is awesome. Yeah. Like, you immediately get this weird quality. Yeah. yeah, this vibe to her talking to Ian in this setting. 
And the thing that is so impressive about it was this wasn't an intentional thing when they were filming. Mm-hmm. So they, it was supposed to be a scene, just a normal scene where she's talking to Ian and she's also talking to Colonel uh, Weber in her room where Weber's te- explaining why he's going to take her off the team. Yeah. Because he doesn't think her she's mental like state. Yeah. yeah. And she's upset about it. And I think something came up in the edit where they realized they didn't need a shot that they wanted that I think would have like connected the scene how they needed to. Mm-hmm. And without that shot or that take, like it didn't connect correctly. So then they looked at what they had and they decided to rework it into this dream. Yeah. And like where the alien is in the shot is actually where Colonel Weber had been standing. And it's still portraying what that scene was meant to portray, which is that Louise is becoming very enmeshed and possibly unstable with learning this new language. Yeah. And they always say that like the third version of a movie is found in the edit. Yeah. Meaning, like, the first stage is the writing, the second stage is when they filmed it, and the third stage is the edit. And in Mm -hmm. each stage, you're making decisions about the story and how it's told. Yeah. And I think this is a great illustration of how the edit can hugely affect how a story comes out. Absolutely. In this case, you're almost completely creating a scene from scratch. Yeah. And, like... Completely repurposing it. Yeah. And it's just amazing how creepy the tone manages to be when, like, they didn't film it with that intention at all. I know. It works so well. It does. And I love that part a lot. I do love the discussion, though, about how learning another language actually rewires your brain. Yes. And when you start thinking in another language, your thinking is completely different. Mm -hmm. And I love that idea. And it's actually, like, I read this other sci-fi book that has the same idea in it. Mm -hmm. It's called... um, Babel 17, it was written by uh, Samuel R. Delaney, who was a rare person of color writing sci-fi in like the 70s. Um, And it wasn't like exactly my style. I don't really like older sci-fi for some reason. It doesn't like, I don't get really into it. But this book was also like a lot about language and how different languages can completely change your brain Mm. and like how you think and how you act and like everything about you. So I would definitely recommend it for people who like sci-fi. Yeah, that's... And I really loved in the story how this part is explained, Mm -hmm. written. Uh, Louise talks about the rewiring of the brain, and she specifically references a person she knew who grew up with two deaf parents and grew up knowing sign language and how this person actually thought in sign language. Yeah, in symbols. In symbols. And she always was like, what would that be like? Like, that must be so odd. And she talks about how now that she's learning the heptapod written language, she can start thinking that way. In those symbols. In symbols. Yeah. And then she also kind of leads into how thinking this way has also started to, like, open her mind up to, like, the cyclical nature of time. Yeah. Because... To write in the heptapod language, you weirdly have to know, like, the beginning and end of a sentence or thought at the same time. Before you start. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She said it's like writing with your left hand at the beginning of the sentence and your right at the end. Yeah. And meeting in the middle. And you have to have, like, your brain has to be, like, that expanded. And she talks about how that's how she feels now. Yeah. And I just thought it was so effective at communicating that idea Mm -hmm. of how her thinking and brain rewiring has allowed her to have this, like, inter time d- 
dimensional thinking now. Thinking, yeah. Where she can experience like all of her life mentally, like almost at the same time. Yeah. We're going to take a brief interlude here where we mostly talk about the movie. Yeah. Because in the book, the plot doesn't really go anywhere after this. No. So, but in the movie, as we talked about earlier, like you kind of have to have more of a structure yeah. for it. And so, you know, the tension that's been building over like different countries with the aliens, what do they want, kind of comes to a head where um, China and some of the other countries are saying that the aliens have offered them a weapon. Yes. And this immediately sparks like everyone, every country's freaking out. Yeah. Because they're like, are are the other countries going to get weapons? Are we going to be like fighting each other? And they think like, are the aliens trying to pit us against each other? So we kill each other and they can yeah. like have earth and like things just go off. And I love this, this furthering idea of communication yeah. as a theme in this story, like between countries mm-hmm. and our inability to communicate without being like opposed to each other. Yeah. Uh, but Louise is quick to point out like, we don't know if they know what weapon means. Yeah. Like currently they might not know the difference between a weapon and a tool. Mm -hmm. Like a hammer can be both. Yeah. It depends on how it's used. Mm -hmm. So like we need to clear this up with them and figure out what they're actually offering. Yeah. Uh, The other countries go dark. Yes. um, Which means they stop communicating with everyone else. And the same thing goes for the U.S. So basically they were all kind of like sharing their research findings with each Mm -hmm. other. And then suddenly everyone stops communicating completely. Yeah, and it's this great, like, lead into, I guess, what's the third act? Yeah. You know? Uh, Louise and Ian go up into um, the ship to communicate with the aliens again, and they're trying to talk and trying to figure out what they're really offering them, and that's when an explosion goes off. A group of rebellious young soldiers are like, we're going to... We're going to we're gonna get those aliens before they can get us. We're going to get them damn aliens, so they, like, set up a bomb... In the ship and Louise and Ian kind of show up unexpectedly. Yeah. Like it's not their scheduled time, but they want to resolve this like weapons issue. Yeah. And so they're almost caught in the explosion. Mm -hmm. And before it explodes, the aliens put up like a a ton of writing, a shit ton of writing on their wall that the camera captures. Mm -hmm. And then before it explodes, the gravity of the room like reverses and pulls them out of the room and saves them yeah. from the explosion. Mm-hmm. But one of the heptapods died. <laughs> Costello. Yeah. Or no, is it Abbott? I, I don't think, remember. I think Abbott is the one. No, uh, Costello is dying. Oh. I know. It's so sad. It is really sad. Yeah. So when it is weird, because there was only one alien in the room when they get there. Yeah. And they're like, where's Abbott, I think, mm-hmm. I believe. And... So after this explosion, which the explanation for the one doctor, they ask like, what happened? I know. And he's like, uh, you know, boys will be boys. Essentially. He was like, them boys are watching too much TV. I'm I'm like, like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Which like arguably is what kind of like tainted their brains to like act this way. But the doctor just seems so nonchalant. Yeah. It's like, yeah, they might have triggered an inter- intergalactic warfare, but... But you know. You know them good country boys. Exactly. This is exactly <laughs> what that was. But Louise is like, I have to fix this. I have to let them know that it wasn't, like, really we didn't mean it and, like, we don't mean them harm. So she, like, goes out into the field. She goes rogue. Yeah. And then a pod from the ship comes down and, like, brings her up. And 
she enters the ship until it like the pod fills with like the white cloudy smoke that the aliens are always in. Yeah. And she enters like the actual capsule where Costello is. Yeah. So she's like in the like screened area where they are and it's all super like weird and trippy. And this is where she sees them for the first time and like how tall they really are. Yeah. It's very creepy and unsettling. And she's basically like what's happening not only now but like to me. Yeah. What's the weapon? Yeah. And they're like. You have the weapon. Yeah. We gave you the weapon. And she's like what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. And they're like the weapon opens time and then she's like who is this child that i keep seeing and this whole time when you're watching the movie you think she's remembering her dead daughter and then you're like what this is the oh shit moment yeah and they're like louise can like the weapon opens time louise can use use the weapon the language is the weapon because when you learn it it like opens your mind to like seeing there's apparently an einstein quote something about like if people only knew how like close the present and future are like it's just like our yeah. brains and how we I forget but that was like an inspiration for this story and mm-hmm. the aliens like you can now experience this yeah and then the aliens also uh the alien says that um we are giving this gift to humans because in the future we will need your help yeah which is interesting they're like sometime in the future we're gonna need your help and you're gonna need to know this mm-hmm. before then so, okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I have a question because I, this is not intended to sound like a braggy thing, but when we first saw the movie, I actually kind of figured out this twist beforehand. Oh, really? And it's funny because it was just purely kind of coincidental, but seeing the present, seeing the past, what I was assuming was the past Amy Adams yeah. with her baby and stuff, and then the present, I was just kind of like nonchalantly thinking like, God, it's a good thing they got, like, Amy Adams, who looks ageless. Yeah. Because, like, you can't tell the difference between, like, her in the past and her in the present. She looks, like, the same age. Yeah. And then I was, like, that thought triggered another thought. I'm like, well, I mean, who's to say that's, like, not the future? Because, like, there's no aging makeup, clearly, that they've done to her. There's nothing to signify what is the past or present. And then I was like, oh, my God. Oh, shit. There's also also another moment in both the book and the movie where... She like her daughter asks her a question in the future and she almost like goes back to the memory of like the present and like answers it. So that's another. Yeah, that was another moment in the movie where you were like, wait. Yeah, but you're still. Oh, well, I guess. Oh, yeah, that does make sense, because like you are assuming if that is the past, it seems like if she only learns that in the future, you'd think. Yeah. Sorry. When you know the time order. It's hard to remember what, like, is fooling you the first time you I see know, it. I <laughs> know, right? Like, what? I, I don't know. What's happening? So that is, like, the first. I think when I saw that, that, like, confirmed for me. I'm like, okay, I'm on the right track. Like, yeah. this, the time order is is not what you think it is. Mm-hmm. And so then China declares war yeah. on the heptopods. And Louise is like, I have to stop this. I have to get us all to start communicating again. And she basically realizes that the info that the heptopods gave them is only part of the equation and they need to work together to bring it all together. Through some weird kind of math thing. I don't know. Jeremy Renner. (laughs) I'm going to say Jeremy Renner. uh, (laughs) is like, we only have one twelfth of the total information that the heptopods uh, have given 
so they've given obviously the other piece of the information to the other to everyone else and he's mm-hmm. also like there's so much info here we could never it's gonna take us years to decipher all of it yeah so this is part of the gift and mm-hmm. we need to talk to each other and definitely not shoot the aliens yeah <laughs> So and Louise like instinctively like ends up calling China. She (laughs) She calls China (laughs) and it's because she's remembering the future slash able to project her awareness into the future. She like knows her power now. Yeah. So she's like kind of able to use it. Yeah. But it's it's pretty unclear. It is unclear because in the future the Chinese diplomat or the general is like, I'll never forget how you saved, averted the war and saved everyone. And she's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. How did I do that? Yeah. And then he gives her his private phone number and then says, and you said my wife's last words to me before she died. And he like whispers it all to her. And she's acting like she doesn't know this. But then in the present She's like, okay, good. I like went and got that information from the future. Yeah. And it's also weird because the general is kind of like in on it almost. Yeah. Like he purposely shows her his phone number. Yeah. So that she would know it in the past. Yeah. And he, he's like, I have a feeling that you should know this. Yeah. And it's like, why would he have that feeling? Yeah. What did, what does he know? Where are we on that? Like, we just don't know what other people know. I guess... We, we didn't hear the entire conversation she had. So maybe when she called him the first time, she explained, I can see into the future or something. Maybe. Like maybe she said something to him that would like in the future tip him off about like, maybe I should do this. Yeah. We don't know, but it is very. Un- also, it's kind of like one of those like weird uh She's only having that conversation because she did that thing. Yeah. But it's that conversation that allowed her to do the thing. It's one of those weird, like, paradoxes. Paradoxes, yeah. So not to get too time travely in this discussion, but it just raises a lot of questions. It does raise a lot of questions about what Amy Adams knows and what she doesn't. And should we, should we be worried about Amy Adams? <laughs> <laughs> is she too powerful now? I think she is because we've proven that she is timeless. Mm. How old is she? No one knows. <laughs> if you tell me how old she is right now, I will not believe any number that you say. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And also... She like, can't be trusted. No. <laughs> we also catch, catch a glimpse of a book that she wrote in the future after the events of this all happen. It's called The Universal Language. Yeah. And it's like... It, is she teaching other people this language now? Because... I'd imagine she must be because, A, other people have to be learning this language who are communing with the heptapods. And B, the language is the gift they are giving to humanity. And we're going to need it to save the aliens in the future. She can't just hoard it. No. But that really raises the question of, like, what does this do to the world? Yeah. That, like, everyone can suddenly, like, read this. Yeah. And if they... Think this way. Yeah. And also, like... The implications are staggering. What are the Amazon reviews like for this book? It's like five stars. I bought this book and now I can think transdimensionally across my entire lifetime. (laughs) One star. I couldn't see what the winning lottery numbers are. (laughs) One star. My husband's going to cheat on me in 10 years and I'm really upset about it. Would not recommend. (laughs) (laughs) Yet it's just like that little like 
oh, by the way, this is going to happen. It's like, oh, my God, like I can't even begin to. And I guess like that's not the purpose of this story necessarily. But uh, it certainly raises quite a few questions. It does. At the end of the movie, after all the important like climactic moments are resolved, she and Ian kind of get together and she remembers that they got together, but that's okay. She still likes him, even though she knows they're going to get divorced later. I know. That's so sad. sad. Yeah. But she also knows her daughter is going to die and she still has that moment where they decide to have this child. And she talks about this throughout the flashbacks slash flash forwards. Like, it's addressed a little bit that she knows her daughter is going to die and she's still, like, okay with that. But it's also brought up that, like, she told Ian about this at some point and he was, like, not okay with this. That's, like, yeah, because at one point uh, the little girl, her daughter, is, like, I don't want to see dad because he doesn't look at me the same. Yeah. And Amy Adams, or Louise, basically says, like, I told him something about, like, you that he was very upset about. And we understand she revealed she's going to die. Yeah. And Ian said she made the wrong choice in telling him. Yeah. Or in choosing to have Hannah, the child, in the first place, if she knew that the, yeah. she would just die. Yeah. And I, I want to take a second to just call out uh, Jeremy Renner in this movie. I think he's really good in this he movie. He is. Yeah. I think he does his, like, kind of backseat role well. Yeah. And I would have, if you would have told me that, like, Jeremy Renner convincingly plays, like, a theoretical physicist. Yeah. I would have been like, okay. <laughs> Hawkeye. Okay. Yeah. But I don't know. He brings like a surprising, like nerdy charm. Yeah. To the character and likability that you kind of, and like the connection that he and Louise form is very under the surface in a lot oh, of ways. Yeah. Like they get a good scene together, kind of a bonding scene. Mm-hmm. But besides that, most of their bonding is through their work together. Yeah. But but, but it's believable. It By is. the end, you're like, oh, they're together now. Absolutely. Yeah. And like he blocks her from being shot. Yeah. At that one point, like mm-hmm. he kind of puts himself between him and the him and uh he puts himself between the guards and Louise. <laughs> yeah. And like that was a really great moment. And I just I really liked him. And obviously Amy Adams. Oh was my god, she's amazing. Fantastic. She's great in everything that but she's But she can't in. be trusted. But she can't be trusted. <laughs> she knows too much. She knows everything. <laughs> she can see through time. <laughs> <laughs> and we can't she, allow this. And she's giving a book to the world that will let them do this? Oh, God. Who said that she can do that? <laughs> but in the book, the book ends differently where it's just sort of like, I know this language. And she talks about how she can like see through time, but she also still experiences time normally as well because she is like human only. Yeah, she's like, because I didn't learn this language like from growing up. Yeah. I'm limited to how much I can experience this essentially. But the aliens just like leave one day. They don't like ever say why they were there and there's no drama or like tension. And also Louise says that like the other linguists know how to use this language too Mm -hmm. around the world. And like that they like talk to each other in like code because they know already what they're going to say. And I, that sounds like the most boring (laughs) way to live your life. Honestly, it was Really interesting hearing her explain it, though. Yeah. Because she was like, certain languages performative, where like the the words themselves, like in normal language, the words themselves have a power and a meaning to them. Yeah. Like if you make a promise 
or your wedding vows, you say I do. Like there's like a purpose and significance to the words. And she said, when you start to think the way that we think now, she's like, all language has that purpose. Mm -hmm. She's like, we know we have this conversation because at some point we have to have it. Yeah. We have to actually act out having it. Mm -hmm. So even though we know what we're both going to (laughs) say and we know what the replies are going to be and how we. It's still meaningful. Yeah. We still have to have it. Yeah. Which you'd think all language would just be like, uh, hello, Roger. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Uh, my mother died. Oh, that's so terrible. <laughs> and communication. <laughs> yes, I am done now. <laughs> I am going. <laughs> but she also says that like because she knows the future, she will never try to change it as well. But like yeah. when you know the future, free will doesn't really like matter anymore. No, you're kind of like beholden to the events that you know are going to happen. Yeah. Like you want to participate in them. Yeah. Which is interesting because in the book, uh, Louise's daughter dies in a rock climbing accident. Yes. And she dies at 25. And this is something that for many of us, we would see as very preventable. Yeah. Just like don't go rock climbing that day. Yeah. But like Louise is unable to do anything to change that and like doesn't want to. Yeah, because, like, things are how they are. And this is something else that the uh, screenwriter actually addressed in his Mm Q&A. Because he kind of had not issue with this idea of uh, free will being an illusion, but kind of didn't think, at least didn't think it would make for a good ending. Yeah. And instead he was like, well, what if... Instead of feeling like she still had to have the child, she just she still chose to have the child because it's better to have like love and lost than never yeah. to have loved at all. Mm-hmm. And part of this plays into one of the changes that was made in the story where instead of dying in a rock climbing accident, which seems preventable, mm-hmm. like the short story, he has her die of a disease. Yeah. And it's a genetic condition that's incurable. So Louise doesn't really have the decision on whether or not to have the kid and then whether or not to like stop her from going rock climbing that day. It's Mm -hmm. like the only choice you can make is to have the kid or not. Yeah. So like that's the choice that Louise enthusiastically makes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So yeah, but it kind of does raise some questions though, because the movie does in a way depict things as still being inevitable. Yes, it does. For example, the aliens their reason for coming to earth is like in 3000 years, we're going to be in serious trouble and we're going to need your help. Yeah. So clearly they can see their own future. Yeah. And aren't going to change it or Mm -hmm. don't feel like they can. Yeah. And same with, uh, Costello dying. Yeah. Whether it's Abbott or Costello, I'm sorry, I forget, but like he, like the heptapod knew the explosion was going to go off. Yeah. And and that it would die. And that it would die and chose to do that anyway. Yeah. So, yes, you're right. There's inevitability in both versions. Yeah. So I don't quite agree with the screenwriter's interpretation that like there's it's, free will. There is free will because it doesn't really seem like there is. I do like, though, that Louise has this moment in both the book and the movie where she you know, decides to have this child, even though she knows the future. Yeah, it's 
and it's tied really well to this scene of after everything that happens, her and Ian together. Yeah. And Ian kind of like revealing how he feels about her. Yeah. He's this really sweet line about like the most amazing thing wasn't like meeting them. It was meeting you. Yeah. And then you're like, how dare you leave her in like however many years you ass. I like you. Well, Amy Adams maybe left him too. We don't know Mm. exactly what transpires his fault (laughs) (laughs) ian seems like too sweet and honest i don't know but i guess so does louise in ways yeah but we don't trust louise remember that's true (laughs) her crazy all-knowing abilities and her agelessness and her agelessness yeah so yeah kind of different thematically but also kind of not yeah Very interesting stories in both versions. Yeah. If you haven't read or watched, I would highly recommend it. I mean, the short story is very short. It's like 50-something pages. Um, The movie is not short, but it's still a movie. Yeah, it's it's, still a movie. It's very enjoyable, and I really liked watching it the first time, even without the context of the short story. Yeah, and honestly, even after... Like, I liked it the first time. Yeah. I, I did. But I feel like I watched, I liked it a lot more even the second time. Yeah. And like, honestly, as soon as we were done with it, I'm like, I could watch that again. Yeah. I, there's something about it that's like, it is a high stakes story, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel like. Drama. Overly dramatic. Yeah. yeah. Overly anxiety ridden. Like, no. You know what I mean? It's not like overly played up mm-hmm. for drama's sake. And there's something I like about that. A story yeah. that doesn't feel the need to like over inject a plot with like more and more high stakes, high stakes craziness. Mm-hmm. So that so being which one, said, which one's better? <laughs> boy, this is, oh man, I loved the book and how dense it got. Yeah. Cause somehow so much credit goes to the author. I know. And only like 50 something pages. Yeah. Being able to explain all this. Cause he gets into so much detail with language and writing and both talks about it in a educated kind of advanced way yet still understandable yeah. to the average reader like it doesn't feel like you're being talked down to no and it feels like you're understanding things that seem kind of advanced or interesting but obviously he's like very quickly summarizing this stuff and yeah. doing it in a concise manner and that is very impressive i did try reading some of the other short stories in this oh, really? collection and I didn't really like them as much. Hmm. One of them was interesting. I didn't read all of them, but a lot of them were more math heavy. Oh, really? Yeah. And I was like, mm. huh? Yeah. Because after reading this, I was like, oh, I might try to read some of the other short stories. And like, I was kind of thinking I might do that, but maybe not. Maybe I, I mean, definitely try it if you I'll want try. To. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, that's curious, mm-hmm. though. Um, oh, man. You know. I know my answer. I know mine. I'm going to say the movie. <laughs> I'm going to say the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Will we ever disagree, Adina? <laughs> I mean, you can't argue against Amy Adams. Eternal, ageless. We can't trust her, but we can't help loving her also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it is, you know, the short story is good for giving you like an emotion yeah. And like kind of conveying these ideas, raising questions, Ra- yeah, raising questions and these concepts. Uh, but in terms of like 
a story with like an arc per se. And like a lot of connection and sympathy for the main character. Mm -hmm. I feel like that was a little lacking. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I mean, but then again, like the motives and goals of a short story are different. Exactly. It's supposed to give you, I, I think it accomplishes what it sets out to do. It does. And if I wasn't comparing it to a movie, uh, I probably wouldn't be like as critical of it. No, I wouldn't be saying these things. I wouldn't be like, oh, it's lacking in this or that, really. Yeah. But that being said, we get a lot of these interesting math concepts and things uh, and like the language and all this other stuff out of the movie, but tied into characters, I mean, characters. And my God, we didn't talk about this at all. The production value. Oh, yes. This is a well-made movie. The cinematography is absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. The design of like the ships yeah. and the heptapods and the score, like the we said score, earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of that stuff is just aces. Denise, it's very atmospheric. Yeah, really puts you in that space, and I uh, really appreciate Denis, that. Denis even knew the director described it as oh, what did he call it? Like it's not like shitty sci-fi, <laughs> but he said something where it's like it's sci-fi, but like on a rainy day, like mm. that, like atmospheric feel yeah. of kind of like misty, rainy, kind of like shitty outside feel. Yeah. But like with like an alien ship. There. Not like shiny, chrome, yes. fancy technology. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think it achieves that perfectly. This director has also done Sicario, Prisoners, Blade Runner 2049, mm-hmm. Enemy. Uh, just a lot of really well done, um, effective, some science fiction, yeah. some just straight drama, but a very accomplished director. I think he's going to be directing the new Dune movie coming out. Interesting. Which I'm very, I'm very curious about. It has a really good cast so far, so mm-hmm. we'll see about that. But I think he his filmmaking is on excellent display in this one. I agree. And Amy Adams performance is really amazing. Yeah. And I mean, all the actors are really good in it. It's just really enjoyable. I liked it the first time I saw it and I really liked it the second time too. So it's got to be movie. It's going to be movie for both of us. I'm actually buy this now that I think about it. <laughs> I should buy this. Cool. Let's do lightning round. Lightning round. All right. So first off for lightning round is actually for both the book and the movie. They um, tell the same story where Louise is trying to illustrate the complexities of communicating in different languages. And she tells the story about how when um, British uh, sailors came to Australia and they were communicating with the Aboriginal people that lived there, they asked what a kangaroo was. They're like, what's your name for that? And then it wasn't, you know, the Aboriginals replied. And then it wasn't until later that they realized that kangaroo actually means, what did you say? Yeah. <laughs> And she later says that story isn't true. Yeah. Like it's made up, it, but it kind of communicates what I'm trying to say, which is how there can be gaps and how so much can be lost when you're trying to communicate in different languages. Yeah. I love in the movie. She's like, Ian's like, that's a good story. She's like, yeah, and almost definitely not true. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the the book also kind of, I feel like my voice shot up. The book uh, talks about this thought experiment that was kind of interesting this is where it got a little too heady for me maybe yeah but it was talking about this at least i think it's a thought experiment it was called the book of ages Mm -hmm. it's this theory that like if there was a book depicting all of history both past present and future yeah if you 
read it and like flipped to your life. Yeah. And this is where the title of the story comes from, I think, the story of your life, Mm -hmm. saying if you read that, that, well, theoretically, like you couldn't really read that or know the future because you would inherently then try to fight against it. Yeah. You would either do things to counter that or like it would just kind of like fuck up the timeline and then the book wouldn't be true anymore. Yeah. And so this is like presented early on as like an example of how you can't know the future. But then, of course, Louise is like, actually, I do know the future and I'm just going to do it anyway. Yeah. So I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Yeah. It kind of like in its rationale gets a little dense, but it was interesting. And I just liked how that's where the uh, story pulled its title from. Yeah. So. And it's also story of Hannah's or Louise's daughter's life as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which Hannah is a palindrome palindrome Mm -hmm. which is why she gave her that name because it's forward and backwards the The same same. yeah uh so fun movie fact uh there's a scene in the movie a couple scenes actually where louise is interacting with her daughter and her doctor her doctor her daughter (laughs) is like oh for school we have to write a tv show and the name of my tv show is mommy and daddy talk to animals (laughs) <laughs> and then when Louise like realizes later that she's seeing the future, she like goes back to that scene where her daughter's like doing this sh- show and you see like this little like Play-Doh version of like the heptapods. And that's when you realize, oh, her mommy and daddy talk to animals slash aliens. And you're like, wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you see the drawing that she made and there's a canary in it. Yeah. Which they used a canary to like test the air yeah. in their experiments. They, I just loved that like, oh my God moment. It was cool. Because like even like even though I at that point knew or had like kind of figured out the ending, like I didn't understand that connection. Mm-hmm. So even that was like, oh, that's really cool. And I like that a lot. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to mention that in the movie, or I should say in the, the short story, the aliens are nicknamed raspberry and flapper yeah no real explanation as to why yeah but in the uh film they changed that name their names to abbott and costello yeah and the reason they did that is and i didn't really figure this out i had to read about it but they have abbott and costello famous comedic duo and they had this sketch called who's on first oh yeah right and it's like a lot of people are familiar with it but it's like a baseball sketch and it's but all it's about, basically about miscommunication. miscommunication. Yeah. That's the whole gist of like the humor of that sketch, which wow. is why Ian recommends that to be their names. That's so cool. Because they're trying to communicate. I love that. I love that, too. And I was like, I like how a movie, when it's being adapted, can sometimes like interject a little bit more context. Just like, yeah. Just another little layer of it doesn't require like a whole explanation or anything. No. But it's just a little bit more insight and just kind of fun little things. So that's cool. Yeah. And that's our lightning. Yeah. And that's the episode. Thank you again for listening. This was a really fun one to do. Yeah. Um, we had this uh, suggested actually from a few different folks from we our did. listeners. So um, thank you for this suggestion. And it's been on our list for a while, too. And it's really exciting to get to do a short story. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you'd like to uh talk about this episode with us or suggest future episodes or just interact with us in general, you can find us on Facebook. We're also on Instagram and on Twitter. And on Twitter, we are cover two credits with the number two. And you can find us on uh, basically any podcasting platform, but specifically 
Apple Podcasts and iTunes. And if you're on there, just hit a give us a five star rating yeah. if you feel so inclined. Uh, those ratings really help us uh, get featured a little bit more and stand mm-hmm. out a little bit more and get people to listen to us. So that's really helpful. Yeah. And we're also on Patreon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll be posting probably some articles relating to this adaptation. Yeah, also some videos, some videos. There's like I said, a great lessons from the screenplay video on arrival, a great nerd writer video. Mm-hmm. I'll post that podcast Q and a with the screenwriter. Yeah. Uh, so head over there. Uh, that'll be available to anyone. Mm-hmm. And if you want a little bit more and you become a patron, you'll get a monthly episode schedule. Yeah. Where you'll know the episodes coming up for each month mm-hmm. as well as bonus episodes called after credits where if we ever cover an adaptation that has more than one film uh we will talk about the additional film in a bonus episode yeah and that's all for our lovely patrons so definitely head over there and check that out thank you to everyone who already supports us on patreon you guys are so amazing yes. you fill my heart with joy every day <laughs> it's beautiful and thank you generally to everyone else who listens as well and i de- definitely want to give another shout out if you're on goodreads Find me on Goodreads. Oh, yeah. I post all the time on Goodreads and like not a lot of people use it, but you just search my full name, Adina Hilton. You'll see me in like a photo with like books in the background. It's a library photo. But yeah, I post a lot of stuff on there. I read stuff outside the podcast. So if you're ever interested, just find me on there. Yeah. And I keep trying to be on Goodreads and I keep failing. (laughs) (laughs) But you can also probably find me at some point, too. Yeah. Uh, Just Ian George. And uh, yeah. And thanks for listening to this episode. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.